Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uktana, and today we'll be looking at ghosts, or what gets left behind after we cross over. I'm not as drawn to haunted houses or ghost sightings as some are. I have a friend who is just fascinated by all things ghost, and so I get to enjoy vicariously to my heart's content as she shares this, that, and the other new find or sighting. I am, however, intrigued by old houses. I love the hidden nooks, the things stuck in the walls, the stuff left behind by previous tenants, the odd dead ends, should-haves, and what were they thinking of houses which have stood the test of time. I like going into old houses with all of my senses on. If I'm not with other people, I'll actually drop my protective barriers and just listen. Because houses are beings, which means they have stories to tell. We think of the Akashic Records as a place where our every action is recorded and leaves its essence for posterity, but our actions affect everyone we are related to. And this includes the building beings which we live in, work in, and visit. Those beings remember us. We become part of the stories they tell about their lives. These become the experiences which form the being's identity and their view on life. And that's where haunting can start. Pretty much all of us have had the experience of a home or a building which just felt good. Or even something smaller like a piece of furniture or a decorative box or a piece of marble in a museum. It doesn't matter what your head is saying, which may be nothing at all in any case, but your hands will involuntarily move to touch the object. Each of us will reach out to feel the smoothness of the varnish on a banister, run our fingers over the upholstery on a chair, touch the coolness of marble which has existed for millennia, if we can get away with doing so. Our eyes drift from here to there unhurried, and take in the details while our body settles into a deeper rhythm. The house, chair, marble, is letting us know it's happy. It's happy we're here, and it's willing to talk. Most of us have also felt homes and items which did not give us a good vibe. We can make up excuses for why this is so, but in the end, the thing gives us the Wiggins, and we need to get away from it. This isn't necessarily because there is evil in or around it. Usually this is because the being doesn't want to talk to us, or because it's upset, or has a negative story to tell and that's not something we need. This is like going to a party where someone starts on a story about something harsh or uncomfortable. They get angry or depressed or just plain creepy and that's our cue to exit stage right and go get more pretzels. When I was working with my elders, I came across such a building. 
It had been a house originally, but it had been converted into a store as the area changed to commercial properties. The house didn't like being a store, and didn't like the owners or the clientele. Everyone could feel this whether they were sensitive or not. Everyone in the area knew quasi-legal sales of the herbal variety happened there, and they tried to brush this off as a quote-unquote hippie thing, but the house wasn't having anything to do with it. The building created an uncomfortable funk on the whole block for a dozen years or so. Then tragedy occurred. There was an attempted robbery, at least that's the official story, but four people were killed in the store, found there by someone coming to open up the next day. I believe one of the deceased was a co-owner of the store. The police were called in. The official story was quickly published. No one actually believed it, not locally anyway. And everything went back to normal. Except it didn't. I went into the store sometime after the events, a couple of years or more, and the building was sick. For some, the building would seem haunted, although there were no souls stuck there or continuing to inhabit without bodies. But the building was what we have been taught through stories and TV and movies to think of as malevolent. The poor thing was beyond pissed and becoming twisted and ill. The story it had to tell was shrieking from every surface and reverberated throughout its frame. Why? And no! was repeated over and over, like the rhythm of sobs. The building continues to cry softly even to this day. There are two ways in which we often use the word haunted. One is to point out otherworldly beings are somewhere they shouldn't be and interacting with us in odd ways. The other is emotional. We talk about people being haunted by their past, by something they've done, by decisions they've made, by things they wish they could take back or make right. Buildings can be haunted in both of these ways, sometimes at the same time. And just as smudging with sage and chanting and bells won't heal our deep emotions, but might lift our mood in the moment, the same can be said for buildings and objects. There is always hope for things to improve, but waving a magic wand or a sage stick probably won't bring it about, although it can help. The way we live our lives the memories we make affect not only us, but all those around us. So make good ones and share them around. Sometimes people do get stuck, however. To understand what can go wrong and therefore cause a ghost occurrence, first it's important to understand we are spiritual beings undertaking an embodied life. While we are here, the body is an integral part of us and us of it. We are inseparable on a multiplicity of levels, including the fact that the body allows us unprecedented access to our undiluted selves. 
I like to call it the University of You, because for this brief moment of a lifespan, each individual is alone with their thoughts and their emotions. No need to hide them, moderate them, or have them impeded by the telepathy and empathy we normally use as souls to communicate. The body contains them. As long as we don't express them externally, we are able to wallow in our unadulterated suchness. Because of this, and the experiential nature of living embodied, we learn things exponentially faster than through any other method of learning, and we learn them much deeper and more completely. Just like anything which is rich and intense, and which requires a great deal of resources and focus, the time we are able to be in this experience is limited. The body includes many different ways for us to exit this life, including the natural time limit of age-related illness, diseases which can have symbolic messaging, such as cancer, as well as the shutdown process when the soul starts to release. But regardless of the why and the how, life is terminal for all of us, and the soul will leave the body. Once the soul is detached, several things change radically and immediately. Physics becomes an illusion of the mind, and only applicable to interaction with those still embodied. The linear nature of time disappears, and those who live within that stricture seem to live behind a pane of glass, separating the soul from them, and the reality of non-corporeal existence begins to mingle with the consciousness of the soul, creating interpenetrating realities. People who have had near-death experiences have reported these things in detail, so there's no need to rehash them here. We've all read or heard about floating over the body, feeling disconnected from events below, the tunnel, the light, being met by family and friends on the other side, or seeing a Christ-like figure beckoning. The amount of time a soul will linger in the in-between state varies from a few minutes to a week on average, and then the soul releases completely from this plane and returns home to the Akashics. Some see this as a tunnel or a bright light. On the other side is our soul group, our peers, and our teacher waiting to welcome us home and to help us through the disorienting process of reintegrating the portion of ourselves which has been experiencing embodiment with that which stayed behind which is sometimes seen as the higher self. This reintegration process is the ultimate purpose for each person's soul book. After being welcomed home, the soul's teacher will take them into seclusion and using the book as a tool will help the soul through a life review and integration of all they have done and learned and become. This process takes five to nine months in linear time during which the soul is unavailable to anyone either here or there. Ghost situations occur where, for one reason or another, the soul lingers in this in-between state. 
there are as many reasons as there are souls, but there are some general categories which they fall into. One is through accident. Memorials are a way in which we continue the interrupted conversation and relationship we have had with the departed. They are wonderful, magical, mystical ways to keep the door open, to keep the emotions healthy and honest, to speak the truth we need to say to those who have departed. Oftentimes, the truth is raw, and it's not always pleasant. But the expression is good in order for both sides to continue to interact and be connected. Memorials in general do nothing to prevent a soul from moving on. In fact, they allow the person to move on with the knowledge they are welcome to return and have an access point for doing so. However, there are times when a memorial can be problematic, not because of their existence, but most often because of the intent behind them. A memorial which is full of loss, grief, denial, anger, or outrage can trap a soul like putting a nail through their clothing so they're unable to move. I have, on more than one occasion, found ghosts who were stuck because of something that a loved one put in place. Moving the object, adjusting the memorial, Doing a prayer of release lets them move on, and they're generally glad to do so. A friend of mine once dramatically slammed on the brakes and pulled off to the side of the road next to a mortuary. They got out of the car, went to a small impromptu memorial underneath the flagpole, moved an angel statue eight inches to the right, then got back into the car. When I expressed my vehement need to know what had just happened, insert expletives as necessary to complete this picture, they said he was trapped under the statue. Now he's free to move on, and he has. I couldn't just leave him there. Memorial should be loving and a means of reaching out, not an anchor to try and bring people back. Souls can become ghosts if they become confused lingering too long or retaining too close a connection with the living, refusing to release this life. This can happen for a variety of reasons, most of them emotional. Emotions are potent things which, as souls, we learn to mediate because of the infinitely more direct and experiential way we experience them in our natural state. One of the first things we learn when we come into existence is every being around us feels our emotions as if they are our own and vice versa. Therefore, strong emotions of any kind are impolite and can even be injurious. We learn to moderate ourselves just as the ancient culture of Japan learned to live circumspectly when living in rice paper houses. For recently departed souls, the in-between space of no longer in a body but not yet home provides a state where emotions can wreak havoc. The soul's emotions can be as strong as ever or even stronger due to the situation, yet they can now feel everyone else's emotions as well, 
and those emotions can seem as if they are emanating from the soul instead of the embodied people around them. Without the transition to the Akashics and full awareness of self, the soul can lose perspective and wander in this sea of emotions. This can cause everything from severe depression to rage, which, depending on the status of the soul's dissociation from the earth plane, or lack thereof, can cause the emotions to affect people and places here. This leads people to speculate that ghosts can remain connected here because they have left something unfinished. Many times this is just a misunderstanding of the fact that time isn't linear for them as it is for us. Once a soul is no longer connected with their body, time doesn't line up with ours exactly, which is why I speak of time frames in generalities and estimates and averages. A soul can linger for years in linear time, and for them it is truly just an instant. Or they can linger for an instant, and yet have experienced an eternity. But some souls do get lost here because they are involved in an emotional experience from which they cannot or do not wish to disconnect. This can happen when the death of the person was violent, and at the hand of another. It can happen when the death was sad or lonely. It can happen when the love for another person is so strong that being separated causes fear, which keeps the person here rather than going through the process of reintegration, after which they could associate with the beloved again in healthy ways. The majority of ghosts do not haunt a place like the portrayal in books and movies. They are rarely stuck in buildings, living in a past only they can see, rattling chains and moaning over their fate. They are more often at grave sites, in or around elder care facilities, near or in memorials or at mortuaries, or around their families, wherever they choose to reside throughout the years. They are stuck or lost or processing something very slowly, and what they seek is release, which is usually easy to give. The minority is distraught or angry or frustrated and requires more adept intervention to help them move on. These can be in buildings, sometimes repeating loops of time over and over as their reality intersects strongly with the physical plane. Just as during our lives we repeat conversations with those who frustrate or anger us, we relive intense situations and try to make different outcomes and we obsess over what we could have said or done. So do these souls seeking resolution where this is no longer possible. There are people in this world, many more than you would think, who have the aptitude to provide healing and intervention in these situations. Any number of them who have the interest can take up this work. Like my friend pointed out, once you see the situation, you can't just leave them there. This doesn't mean a ghost will necessarily leave. Ghosts are not some other creature from some unknown place or some weird life form which plays by different rules. They are us. They have free will and exercise it just as we do. 
Sometimes they need tough love and clear boundaries. But most often, what they need is gentle encouragement, a helping hand, understanding, and support to complete their transition. And that's all the time we have this week. Next week, we'll be discussing how to manifest utilizing the Akashics. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. Thanks. Bye.